Hello, this is producer Mike for the Hopecast. On today's show, we're going to open up the audio vault and re-air a classic interview that Rachel conducted with her dear friend, Kendra McNamee. Rachel first conducted this interview back in February of 2021. We are excited about bringing you this powerful and heartfelt episode once again. We have titled this show, Walking Your Friend Through Trauma and Tragedy. Here now is part one of their conversation. Hello and welcome to the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. Rachel is a speaker, inspirational author, and an overcomer. As Rachel is walking through her own journey of grief, she's challenging others to persevere and overcome their own circumstances. Find out more at rachelflick.com. Here now is your host, Rachel Flick. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. I really hope that my interview with Laura Lazeco last week about her family and her daughter Lainey with special needs encouraged and strengthened you. And I would love it if you would share that with anyone in your life that you think would benefit from hearing real life stories of growth and healing and just the strength that Laura carries such a hard part of life with and just bringing so much redemption. Lainey is such a delight and a joy and I look forward to other people getting to hear her story. Today on the Hopecast, I have a very dear, dear friend to bring to you. Her name is Kendra McNamee. Kendra has been one of my best friends for over nine years. We met at a Mothers of Preschoolers Moms Connect Bible study. Caleb, I believe, was probably three or four months old, and the twins were, I think, nine months old at that time. And so we've really walked through all of our mothering journey together with our firstborns. Kendra and I connected to lead the Mothers of Preschoolers group at New Life, which grew to a group of several hundred and which, um, for the record, was larger than the church that I grew up in back in Kansas. I always get a kick out of that. And in our group, we led over 65 volunteers and a steering team of 14 and at least 14 mentor moms. And through that journey, um, this really deepened and grew in our relationship with the Lord together and our love for one another. And then in 2018, you know my story that uh, Micah was killed and Kendra was one of the first people in the room at the hospital with me. And she began to walk that story with me in one of the most intimate spaces, intimate and vulnerable, that I think it's possible to go through life with someone I also was a doula for her second son, Josh. Kendra has three children, Caleb, Josh, and Grace. They are nine, seven, and one years old. So Kendra jumped fully back into the little mode with Grace this last year. She's been married to her husband, Pat, for 13 years, and she has her undergrad in music ed. She's currently branching out with her education and exploring the potential of nursing school, which is a brand new adventure. So Kendra and I are going to talk to you today about how to walk a friend through the valley of grief and what a journey that is. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Kendra. Oh, thank you for having me, Rachel. This is an honor to do this together. I feel like this episode has been a long time in the making Mm -hmm. that we um, have been talking about 
there's a book, uh, Kara Tippett's. Do you remember the title of that book? Oh, I wish I did. I'll have to look that up and give it to you. You can put it in the comments. Yeah, it's, it's a fabulous it, book. It's talking about the similar concept. Um, Kara Tippett's was um, terminally ill, and it was written by her and a friend and how to walk her through that season of the end of her life and support um, Kara's family. And that we really connected on that idea that that's such a need, that when something with that level of difficulty comes where rarely, you know, you don't go to school for how to care for your friend through grief. No, I wish there were, I'm a reader, I'm a learner. I would have loved for there to have been a lot of books about this, but it was very much a learn on the job experience with us together. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, I'm just, um, you know, we prayed ahead of time. I just Mm -hmm. see that this story could probably go on for hours and days, honestly. So we're going to (laughs) try to give it to you guys in two 30 minute portions So Kendra, um, take me to getting the phone call that Micah had passed away and coming to the hospital. Let's kind of start people in the thick of it. Sure. I uh, was at my home with my two boys at the time, uh, just doing um, a normal day with my youngest, but my oldest actually uh, had the flu. And so I was doing all the mom things Mm. to care for him. Uh, Thankfully, my brother had come for a visit and he was just hanging out and was there with us, which turned out to be a really beautiful gift from the Lord, given what the next couple of weeks held for me. I actually, uh, the first, the first I learned that something had happened is when I called you just to check in and say, Mm -hmm. hi, how are you? How's your day? And you told me Micah has been shot. And my first thought was, what? Mm. No. No, he I was still at the shot. house when you I were picked still up at the that house. Call. Yes. And uh, you told me that he had been shot. And then my second thought was, well, he had his vest on, mm-hmm. so he'll be fine. And you said, I don't know. I don't have details. We're just, we're getting ready to go to the hospital. I'm packing activity bags for the kids. We're, we're going to go and we're going to see him and see mm. what's happening. And I had this horrible pit in my mm. stomach that just, there's no words to describe when I sat, I got off the phone with you and sat back and thought, okay, well, certainly he's going to be okay. But mm-hmm. to hear that your best friend's husband has been shot on a phone call when you were just calling to say hello was really, um, <laughs> I was, it was like, intense. I'm sure yeah. I didn't give you any lead in. I was no, like well, hustling of, around of the house and, yeah. and trying not to panic in that moment. Yeah. So I shifted gears pretty quickly. Um, and then all of a sudden things started coming through on my, uh, alerts on my phone, hmm. uh, that there had been, um, an officer involved shooting in Colorado Springs hmm. from our local news and even the national news before I spoke to you again. And then something came through that said an officer had been killed in the line of duty in Colorado Springs. I knew that he was with a group, uh, his team that mm-hmm. day. And so of course I thought, well, it's not Micah. It mm-hmm. can't be Micah. And um, I talked to my husband. He left work in Denver. He drove down expecting that we would go and be with you at the hospital. And then I got a text from uh, a family member of yours. And um, it said that Rachel wanted me to let you know that Micah has passed away from a gunshot wound. Mm. And it, the visceral level of grief that came over me at that moment, mm. I've never experienced anything like that before or anything like that since. 
because somehow I knew this changed everything. Mm. You hear people talk about that moment where it's before that moment and after that moment, and that's how they divide their life. And that wasn't the moment for me, but I felt so deeply that was your moment Mm. of the division of your before and your after. So intuitive. So uh, I called my husband and... I told him on the phone driving because he was also getting the alerts and I wanted him to hear it from me and not Mm. from the news. Um, And I heard my husband sob. Mm. That was the first time I've heard my husband sob Mm. for his friend, for his wife's best friend's husband, for what this meant. And he got home and my brother was amazing and said, go, whatever you need. I mean, he's dealing with a throwing up, Mm. feverish, horribly sick kiddo Mm. and... He said, go. And we did. And we went to the hospital. Um, And it's really strange when you're walking through shock, things that you uh, wouldn't normally say to people you might say, or things that you wouldn't normally do, you might do. And I just knew I had to get to you. And there, Mm -hmm. because of the sensitivity of the situation, there was full lockdown at the hospital, um, tons of police presence, and nobody would let me get to you. And they treated me as just another person who was there and who was sad. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I finally found Which there were hundreds of. There were hundreds. Hundreds of people had come, Micah's family, the community. All the family, and then there was a community. Law enforcement presence, first responders. It was packed. Packed. Um, I finally found the chaplain. He came Mm. walking out of the stairwell, and I went to him, and I grabbed him. I said, I need to get to Rachel. I'm her best friend. And he was kind mm. and gracious, and he took me right to you. Mm. So I'm then so began our journey through walking through that horrendous pain together. Mm. Oh, I'm just, as I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to hold this space for us because I really do feel like we're on hallowed ground. Mm. This was, you're absolutely right. That was my line. Mm-hmm before that moment and after that moment and it's never been the same and I don't feel like I'm the same person after that so what was that like for you um just you know I've just literally heard the most earth-shattering news anyone can receive and um maybe we can add in because a lot of people won't relate to the line of duty complications Mm -hmm. that related to um, walking through a tragedy, which added a whole other layer. Um, but the next thing that we did was um, follow Micah's casket mm-hmm. to the ambulance bay and do a procession to the um, coroner's office. So what was that like for you to immediately step into this world of law enforcement that you had watched me do from afar, right. but didn't really have any experience with and just trying to navigate all of these new things in the midst of such an emotional hardship? Yeah, so the Lord was very clear to me the entire time we drove to the hospital, my presence with you at the hospital uh, that my assignment, my anointing, uh, what I was empowered to do was to be there for you. Mm. And it wasn't to comfort anyone else. Mm. It wasn't to try and get a read on the situation. Um, it wasn't trying to get information. It was simply to be your person. Mm. And right away, though, I felt 
out of place. Hmm. I wasn't part of the law enforcement family. Mm -hmm. I wasn't part of your immediate family. I wasn't part of Micah's immediate family. And I just kept thinking, I need to be with Rachel. I need to be next to Rachel physically by her person in your presence. And that was my goal as Mm. that whole thing happened where they kept ushering you to different places. You were physically being brought along where you were supposed to go, told Mm -hmm. where you were supposed to go. And I uh, remember intentionally having my hand Mm -hmm. or hands on you the entire time until you were taken into the limousine to Mm -hmm. be part of the processional. Mm -hmm. And then I knew the Lord said, let her go at that moment. And it was so minute by minute and instruction by instruction of how I was supposed to support Mm -hmm. you that I I didn't know what was coming an hour later. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you left in the processional, which... um, at that point, it was national news. Mm-hmm. My parents knew. Um, they both live in the Kansas City area. They were both calling me, watching it on the news, mm-hmm. on national news. It just—it was so surreal, too. Yeah. Like, is this her life? Is this my calling? It right felt now? like a movie. Yeah, like I'm helping my sick child two mm-hmm. hours later, and here we're thrust into this place. Like the news is there, and this all of the law enforcement and the processions and the honor thousands and, of people on the oh street. Oh my gosh. Well, and I, and I wasn't part of the procession at okay. that point we were I didn't separated. Know. Okay. Yeah. And I, um, I took a minute mm. to breathe. I went actually in the, in the bathroom at the hospital and mm. I cried and I cried and I sobbed and I washed my hands and just freshened my face and took a big deep breath. And at that point, I didn't know where my phone was. I didn't know where my husband was. I didn't know where my car was. And I ended up actually driving one of our friend's cars, Viola, um, her car home. Um, So things just got all discombobulated, which was to be expected. But uh, I went home. There was that chaos. It was so chaotic. Mm -hmm. Yes. I went home and just prayed, you know, where's my place? And he said, you go be with her. Mm. So I showered and I put cozy jammies on and I came to you and stayed the night with you that first night. Mm. So that was our first day experience. So when we went through the processional, we went to the coroner's office. Um, The undersheriff brought us home. Um, We drove up to the house and there were already at least 30 people at a minimum, mm-hmm. were there. People from the church had already been there, brought food and snacks and put them on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, friends and family had already started to show up. There were there was a law enforcement presence there. That we mm-hmm. had security at the house. Yeah. Um, and I was desperately trying to reckon with, this is something so far beyond anything I could have imagined especially with the line of duty aspect and all of these people stepping into the story just um, immediately. And I'm trying to be like, well, do I grieve? Do I care for people? What do I do next? What's Mm -hmm. happening? The kids and I take a shower and take the comforter off of my bed Mm -hmm. and just wrap us in a pile and watch the news. And we watch Mm -hmm. on the news about how my husband is dead. And 
I just have such exquisite pain from this memory. I'm almost like intimidated to think about what it was like for you and Vi and Beth to come and literally sit Shiva. Sitting Shiva is the Jewish practice of mm. coming alongside the grieving person, not really saying anything. You're not trying to fix it. Um, in the traditional practice, they just sit in silence with them for seven days. And so you all came into this space that was intense, that was had a ton of attention, and then your friend is literally living out her worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what it felt like to sit with us in that space and just enter in to that level of pain. Well, the first thing I want to say is that you are the person who taught me how to sit Shiva mm-hmm. in our friendship in the years prior to this. And neither of us could have ever known mm-hmm. this was coming. I didn't know what that concept was. I didn't know what it meant. It's so counter to America and our culture and how we grieve. And, you know, the first thing we typically think to do is we have to feed them and we have to clean mm-hmm. and we have all the things and we have to plan this and do this. But there is this holy presence that is tangible when you just sit Mm. in the shock and that you're not even to grief yet you're in shock and you didn't need food and you didn't need not that any of that was bad it was all beautiful and caring and wonderful what people did it was very practical it was very practical you didn't need food you didn't need water you did you i believe could have gone for days (laughs) in that place and you kind of did it did and you needed your people Mm -hmm. around you and so I remember driving up to the house and it was already decorated also with flowers and candles and flags. It was, Hmm. it became That's so interesting. I don't even remember that. That's crazy. Yeah. It it became public so fast. And I had this awareness of this is a big deal. Like not that obviously that Micah had been killed, but the way this was going to play out was mm-hmm. unlike anything I'd ever ex- would have ever experienced mm-hmm. before and that it was going to be very public and very seen and with that comes an awareness of behavior it comes an awareness of um what's appropriate and what's not an awareness of what is my role and what is not my role and that was all we had to just learn as mm. we went day by day hour by hour with you so to sit in that place um, I felt very, I felt very ill-equipped. Mm. I had no strength of my own and no wisdom or practical experience of my own to do what the Lord was asking me to do. And it was in that moment, that first night at Micah's parents' house that I sat with you, that I realized this was going to be completely leaning on the Holy Spirit. Mm. I had no idea what I was doing. But it was, there was no question I was to be there and to do it with you. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember practically being in that space with you. Um, I remember what it smelled like. Mm-hmm. Um, I smelled food and I smelled um, shampoo because you had showered. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Um, it's interesting when yeah. you're in places of shock and what you remember you in a sensory up. way. I saw Micah's coat laying over the railing and thought, oh, he'll be cold. It's a cold night. Mm-hmm. Um not normal, not logical thoughts. No, that is a logical thought. What was illogical was that he had died. What yes. was logical yes. was my husband fr- husband's friend forgot her coat and he's going to be cold. That yeah. that was a normal thing that your brain did that yeah. connected all the dots from where what we was had wrong gotten to that point. Gone. Yes. Yeah. Or seeing his uh, protein shake mixes that yep. he made. I'm like, oh, 
good. He made mixes for the mm-hmm. whole week because it was a Monday. Mm-hmm. Bizarre thoughts that I guess a, a piece of advice would be let your brain do what it's mm-hmm. going to do. You're going to think, this is weird. Why am I thinking about this? I truly believe the brain gets to a level of tolerance of pain that Mm -hmm. it has to find ways to escape Mm -hmm. that pain. And when you just look around and see normal things, it helped a little bit in Mm. that moment. It was grounding. It was very grounding, yes. Um, So the interesting thing about this initial shock and, and trauma and grief is that I was, it was a balance of helping you, but in a, a place where I myself was at very low capacity because mm. I also was grieving, mm. not the same. And I would never equate that, of course, but acknowledging yeah. there was pain there that in the natural, I'd like to say, I want to go home and be with my, have my mom come and take care of me because mm-hmm. I'm sad and hurting. Yes, Yet the you Lord is asking nurture. me. Yeah. The Lord is asking me to sit with my friend and to help prepare her to walk through what she's going to have to walk through. And that's the next week coming. I am, I'm so caught in my processing right now and I'm trying to wear two hats and hear your story and pull out the, the takeaways for mm-hmm. the people who are listening to the hope cast today. And I'll just tell you guys, like it is humbling to sit here with a woman who was the hands and feet of Jesus for me in the darkest days of my life and just the honor that people who loved me chose to enter into the very hard and the very messy. And Micah's death brought some very interesting things out of people in the community where they Mm -hmm. wanted to connect with his story and they wanted to feel important. And so they wanted to help out of a space that was more motivated by a desire to be connected to something important than having a relationship established. And I can talk more about that. Go ahead. You have a thought. I do. That came to mind actually before you said it. Um, I immediately became a sort of gatekeeper Mm. for you. Uh, There were people who desperately wanted to help as you said Mm -hmm. those who were close to you already Mm -hmm. and then people who you didn't even really have relationship with Mm -hmm. that were just showing up at the Mm -hmm. house because it was so public and everybody knew and that is not a typical space for me for those listening who um Kendra's a two she's a really nice two I'm a two and to at all be confrontational or um, set up boundaries or to say this isn't the time for that or this isn't appropriate. I can do it all day long with my kiddos, but um, (laughs) very, very difficult for other adults and my peers. Um, But right away, that was, there was no question that that needed to happen. And the way that people felt about me not allowing access to you, Mm. um, it didn't matter. It was interesting. The Lord put up a shield that he week. He definitely for me did because it, you hate yeah. people being unhappy with you. <laughs> and a lot of people were unhappy yeah. with me that week. Yeah. Yeah. In the weeks to come. So, um, and did I do all of it right? Absolutely not. And mm-hmm. it was, it was tricky and it was, um, again, learning on the job, but it, it was necessary because you needed your people who were your close, tight people and Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You right. didn't need to entertain. You didn't need to care. Mm-hmm. You didn't need to comfort others as they were seemingly trying to comfort you. Um, 
And so that was really clear. And I would ask the Lord every time for direction. And he was so faithful to help me with that. Mm -hmm. I think what I'm hearing in this initial part of our conversation is that when you walk into hard, unknown spaces with people, being able to rely on the presence of the Holy Spirit to give you what you need hour by hour and even moment by moment is absolutely critical to caring for your friends. And it's okay if you don't do it all perfectly or if you look Mm -hmm. back and are like, wow, I wish that I would have known this or done that or had this conversation. I had to ask for forgiveness from several people uh, within your family and beyond for the way I'd handled a situation. And the Lord brought that back to mind weeks and months later. Mm -hmm. So just saying Mm -hmm. like, we're allowed to make mistakes and then we need to um, respond to the Holy Spirit when he's prompting us to ask for forgiveness. And that's okay. So as we lean in deeply to the Holy Spirit and listen for how we can help in a place that feels uncomfortable, painful, we are having our own emotional response to what's happening for our friend or family member that we are supporting. It's really an unknown space, and that takes so much courage to step into the unknown and just to to trust the Lord. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay not to do it perfectly. I'm so grateful, Kendra, for you to come and just to be vulnerable with your experiences and to share those with people. We are going to follow up next week, part two of this episode, and I'm going to ask Kendra for some more of the things and the places that she walked into, and hopefully she can give um, some takeaways for people who are actively looking to support the people in their life and do that to the best of their ability. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of the Hopecast. Stay tuned. Next week's episode is going to be amazing and you might need a few tissues and I'm just sorry, not sorry in advance. Okay, guys, have a great week. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. To find out more, go to rachelflick.com. While you are there, you can book Rachel for your next speaking engagement. Her inspiring message will be sure to engage and touch the heart of your audience at your next conference, church event, or business function. Go to rachelflick.com to book her today. While you're online, you can discover more information about all of the platforms that this podcast is on. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave us a review. To follow Rachel on social media, simply click on the social media icons at the top of the page and you will be directed to those sites. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Thanks for joining us and we will see you next time for another edition of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick.